coming back off the road after seeing some cosmic music and my brothers and sisters trying to just swing it on the bandstand uh, in a myriad of different settings uh, amidst this incredible, insane time, not just in this country, but the world. And um, coming back, I've had a chance to do a bunch of interviews. And today I get a chance to talk to a cat from uh, the regional Mason-Dixon area, sort of, uh, it's been revelatory to me to come across uh, these regional pockets of music, which used to exist everywhere in our country, but I'd say outside of New Orleans, uh, I was kind of doubtful that there was any other place where there was really a, re a regional sound. But after doing some digging around, I have to say that the Maryland, Virginia, Carolinas area is coming in strong in the 21st century. And uh, my guest today is somebody who does not have a problem uh, basically listening to the first thing he hears, trusting his instinct, intuition, getting out of his own way, and letting information come through him uh, to inspire not just himself, uh, but the parishioners and the people who become healed by his music. Jonathan Sloan, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's an honor, man. You know, I, I wanted to ask you um, if you can recall an early moment in your career you know, I mean, the list is long, Jackie Green, Phil Lesh, Anders Osborne. But the thing about those cats um, is that they never play the same song the same way once. Uh, it's always different. And that takes a lot of guts. And it, it takes a lot of uh, fortitude. But it also takes, you know, chops, but a lot of belief in yourself. And I wanted you to talk about an early experience in a band where – Maybe you guys were really pushing the envelope in the sense of you were basically reacting to the first sound that you heard and playing off of that and improvising off of that. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's funny thinking back. I, I don't you know, I, I would get up and just basically try to do the best I could. I, I don't have a one specific situation where I guess if I were to pinpoint something definitely playing with Anders is like magical in the sense that he is not all about you know hey let's do you know, the same thing and uh over and over or you know and also just getting the chance to go up and, and sit in with people or, you know, whoever it might be and not really knowing the musical context and just kind of getting, you know, Hey, we're going to do this song or we're going to, you know, try this. And, um, it just sort of for, I, I feel like in those situations, you're kind of forced to just get there, you know? <laughs> and, no, but and, I, my question is, I, this is what I'm curious about is, do you think for younger cats, like just as not that you're a gray beard by any means, but, do you think that like the best experience is just being thrown into the deep end? I'm just, you know, to me, it's like, you can't really rehearse uh, when you, when you throw the script away or you're sitting in and you don't really know the material. I mean, you have to be ready to hit some clams. You have to sure. be ready to, you know, but that's okay. I mean, that, that right. increases the vocabulary. And just from your own point of view, would you say that prior to entering this world of these I hate that word jam band scene, no, but, sure, sure. but, but before that, were you playing more formula trip style music or absolutely. And so I mean, this well, was just, yeah, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, no, it's okay. That's a great question. I mean, it's, it, so I'm, there's, you know, we, one of the bands that I, the first band that I really started touring in was where it's a, it's a, my buddies and, and we're in, we're in yellow dub Marine. It's a, it's a Beatles reggae tribute. And that I love was that name. Yeah. I love that yeah. name. Yeah, it's and great. so we, you know, we, we did, we recorded uh, like Beatles music, you know, we did beat. And so like, that's very, very parts oriented and don't get me wrong. I love having parts in song. I mean, it's actually one of my favorite. I really did grow up to like you two and, uh, and, you sure. know, yeah. listening to like those very part drift, like Foo Fighters, like I'm a, you know, the, that was like the child of the nineties, you know, so it's a lot of parts based stuff and I love that stuff. And I love the Beatles for that as well. And the stones too, just having guitar parts, like what you play, but going into a situation where, and it's, I don't, you know, and I don't think it's necessarily just jam band oriented. I think it's anything where you're gonna, where you just know, even in those 
uh, songs where you know there's parts it's just we know like hey in this section we're going to open it up a little bit and um, I so kind of to go back to your question was do you think for younger cats it's good to just be kind of thrown into the deep end I think there's no other way to do it yeah. you know um, I, I I just feel like those were the moments where at least you have the opportunity to really go for it you know and to like to, to and I think even if it doesn't pan out well at least you're then aware of what not to do or that's, that's very <laughs> dude i love important. it man well yeah, i remember very... i remember i remember my interview uh i did a great interview with joe russo and he was like in this band called fat mama and he was in a <laughs> he was in a sports bar eric deutsch was in the band it was like a greasy funk jazz rock kind of band mm-hmm. they were in the midwest somewhere you know some sports bar and wailing away and nobody every no one could have cared less if they were there i mean it would it was just like uh not exactly a friendly environment for that kind of music or music in general but yet uh, at that point he said it, it was like this it, even though nobody was there listening um he was kind of in his head during that tour and it was at that moment that he became sort of like he stopped playing in fear like he stopped mm. worrying. He started to rely just on his instinct, his intuition. Right. The rudiments were in there. I mean, that's the point is that, okay, we're, it, when you get thrown into that deep end, how did you handle it in terms of like basically trusting yourself so that you could play without fear? Because someone like Anders, like he doesn't necessarily care if you are, if you hit a clam here or there, but he does want to see the intestinal fortitude. He does want to see the self-determination and that comes with inner confidence. And if you're playing in fear, it's hard. Was there a certain point with him or where you just were like, I I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm in it now and I have to move forward and I have to be confident and rely on. Right. And I, I think that, you know, it happened long before Anders to set, like, I remember when I, I, I used to, I got asked to play with this little funk outfit here called Don't Tell Susie that plays, you know, they, they play several games. My buddy, Sonny Petrosky and, and, and a couple other guys locally. Don't tell Susie, man. And yeah, and oh, man. we were just doing funk covers and like, fun, and it was, and I was much younger and, and, and he asked me and I was like, and I felt, I remember I felt that initial like thing of like, am I doing a good job? Am I doing the right thing or whatever? Like, and I think once, you know, the most important thing for me is to focus on rhythm, man. Like if I'm, if I'm in the middle of something where I'm getting into, into my head too much, I just say, all right, well, we're going to step back and we're going to just focus on, you know, the, the, the rhythm section. And kind of, even if it's a solo, you play one note, you're, you commit to an idea, you know, and Absolutely. so there's kind of going up with, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. This is, I love it. Keep going. Yeah. So like yeah. when, like kind of getting past that whole, that heady space of just of, of thinking that, you know, is this good enough or whatever? I mean, and that's a very, you know, commonplace thing, I think for anybody in their, in their younger years. And, um, and then it's, it's kind of like, it goes from when I was like in my late teens to being overly confident and then realizing like, Oh wait, you know, no. And then kind of building it back up in your twenties and then late twenties and then your third and then like, then you're playing. And, uh, and also I, I, you know, I, that was a big, I played with Chris Jacobs too. Who's a big name. Uh, here. My hero, dude. I love him to death. Yeah. Fantastic cat. And just a Such great, a beautiful player, player, man. Yeah. And a great guitar player. And so he, and you know, I remember he and I would, would play together and I, I, I've toured with him for about four or five years and, and it was, you know, super, just a very, um, inspiring and educational time too. And I, and I was playing with other, you know, we played with a lot of people, Ivan Neville, he would play with, and we had like a gig with Amy Helm and, and it was, and I remember, uh, just Amy inviting me to sing more or to like do the, Hey, jump in on this thing, or let's say, you know, and it was just a very, it, it suddenly was almost like, Hey, yeah, man, you're here for a reason. Like, let's step up to the plate. Like, let's let, you know, you don't, we're not doing this like whole, like, is this the audition? <laughs> I love this, dude. It's so beautiful to hear this, man, because what, what, can you go back to the cocky years when you were like, I always oh. love, I mean, I'm talking like, I've interviewed uh, Famadou Don Moy from the <clears throat> um, Arts Ensemble of Chicago. 
And he like, I mean, this is like a shaman drummer. And, you know, when he's like 10 years old on the bandstand and, you know, the keyboard player was much older than him. I don't think he even said his name for six months. I don't know if he even acknowledged him, but, uh, you know, basically like he was in the woodshed most of the time. And it was just like I, the Denny Sywell from Wings got kicked off the bandstand by wow. Lou Donaldson for because he couldn't play the shuffle right now. The difference was I'm just so the question for Jonathan Sloan is, can you talk about a humbling experience when you were so cocky that you thought you had the world by a string and then you basically were humbled to the point where it was like it wasn't it wasn't the end of the world. It was the, the realization that, you know, you really needed to keep growing. Oh, yeah. I mean, geez, I guess it was probably... <laughs> there's a long, No, I, I just would love because I think it's important for cats. Someone like yourself at this point in your career, it's the forever journey. But a lot of people would look and say, wow, he's got it all together. And you know what? That may be true. But you know what? That came from a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So I'm always interested yeah. in overcoming adversity, you know? Absolutely. No, no, it's great. It's great. And, I, you know, and I'd be lying if I said that that doesn't happen to me, probably, you know. It, it, I think it's the Still, best yeah. thing is, you know, having that realization. It's like, oh, yeah, there's always room to grow. You know, there's always room for improvement. But, yeah, I think definitely, um, you know, just playing with getting on stage, I mean, like, you know, just having a, I remember one night we did a, we played Aiken Bluegrass Festival, this was years ago, and, and like Billy, it was a Billy Strings thing, and, and Billy was up there shredding, you know, yeah. and I'm just like, wow, you know, like, <laughs> this is incredible. Recently I did, I mean, this, and this is not long ago, um, but uh, we did Jazz Fest and like Guthrie Trap showed up and plays, and I'm just wow. like, you know, what the hell am I doing here, <laughs> you know, but right. it's uh, but, you know, then, you you know, he's standing right next to me when I'm playing and he's looking at me and smiling, you know, like I'm taking my and it's just like, right, this is not like, a, you know, it's one of those things where we are we are all forwarding our musical path. And, and it's just a beautiful thing. It's not a competition. It's not, you know, one of those. But to go back to the earlier years, you know, if I'm I'm remembering, you know, playing it like, you know, Bar, like bars in Rockville, Austin Grill in particular, and just being such a fucking diva, you know, like about like, you know, having like, like, oh, is my like amp in the right place? Oh, or is, man, dude, I would have loved like, you know, to, Jonathan, is, I would have loved to have been there at that time, man. Go ahead. Oh, go man. ahead. And I was, yeah. I was 19, you know, and like in 20, and, and, I, and we used to play this place called the Santa Fe Cafe in College Park. It's not there anymore. Now it's something else. It's like some total like, you know, boomy club but um right. uh, and and i yelled at the sound guy and i you know i, I don't i don't drink anymore but i, I used to and it was and, and it was like i was wasted and i yelled at the sound guy and the sound guy just looked at me and goes like who the fuck are you you know and i'm just like and i remember like feeling so put in my place <laughs> just you know things like that but that was not such a musical thing that was more of me just being a dick which you know it totally well that's what i'm talking about like how did you because that's the thing man you know what it's it, it, like I'm 45 now and I don't, I was never like, I didn't, I was too sensitive to ever be a dick and I didn't really necessarily walk around. I wasn't a musician and not a musician either, but what turned the, what allowed you to open your heart to become, because to me, it, it, I get off more. I love the music, but a lot of times I get off more on the musician than the music. And there's nothing that I hate worse than, than people that are up there wanking it or they're just dicks. So I'm well, just curious about like how you what I mean obviously fatherhood can do that but I feel like your evolution happened earlier than that in terms of just being it did. It, being it did. vulnerable yeah yeah I uh, so you know I and I'm this is important because it's a, it's a it's an integral part of why I'm here today but I, I got sober in 2012 and um, you know that was that was a very very illuminating time for many reasons obviously but also the idea of going back out and playing in that state of mind was like i had to reset everything and recalibrate everything and uh, i remember playing several times where i just didn't feel like i had it or i was like why am i doing this you know and um there wasn't so much of like a a feeling of like wow this is amazing it's like because i went back into it pretty quickly and then it kind of got to a point where i was like I realize why I'm doing this because I love these people that I'm playing with. I love playing music. I really enjoy, you know, these songs, all this other stuff. And I enjoy, but it, you know, there was a lot of headspace. It was a different headspace, you know, and uh, 
learning how to sort of navigate that new, you know, cause I, I, I was, it was, it wasn't good. And towards the end, and I was in situations where I'd have to run off the stage and, you know, go throw up in the bathroom and shit like that. Wow. So, no, yeah, I, dude, I really, I need, this is so important. Cause dude, I, I am not a hard drug guy, but like, you know, I'll puff and have a beer at night, you know, whatever, like <laughs> just, just chill, you know, like, and, or even at a shows, I'll get to a point, you know, couple whiskeys you know like i'll get to a point where as as an audience member i feel i feel like i can get to that space and what you're talking about i need you to talk about how you got to that to that cosmic level of consciousness not every night but when you first got there and you were sober and you're like i can't get there how did you wind up getting to that place because you're just like so many of the cats I've talked to, Jim Keltner, the list goes on and on and on. It's just it's they awesome, they had they you can get to that beautiful space without anything. And I'm still trying to square that circle in as in my own way. And I'm wondering, like, was it just sheer repetition, or did you actually have to come in to develop some sort of you know meditative practice, or did you find did you find God? I mean, I, this is really important as to how you wound up because you. It sounds to me like there were times when you did get sober and got back on the bandstand, you were like, I don't know if I can get back to that level of consciousness. Yeah. And it was a, it was a little bit of a period there where it was, I call it like the lull, you know, and it just well, felt like, I don't know if I'm ready for this yet. It was more of that. It wasn't the, I don't know if I can do this it was more of like, a, I don't know if I'm ready yet kind of thing. I did. What happened for me was I started, you know, I was playing and I had a, um, a friend of mine, we started a little trio and I wanted to, I did know that I enjoyed singing and playing songs and playing, you know, I, I do a lot of Hendrix inspired stuff. I do a lot of like, you know, blues rock sort of stuff. And I, and I wanted to sort of just get back to that. And um, so we started playing in some bars and little spots around the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And um, I remember I was, it was after one of these gigs, I think we played the quarry house or something. It was the, it was this place called the quarry house tavern in downtown silver spring. And my buddy, Nate Graham, who plays, he now plays with midnight North, but uh, he's mm. um, he, he was playing drums with me. And, and I was like, man, I just, and I was ripping myself apart. It was very like self uh, deprecating, you know? And I was like tell, talking about how I didn't like play well or something. And he looked at me and he was like, dude, I, I really think you, you need to stop thinking so much. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, just play. He's like, cause you're, and he looked at me, he's like, cause you're good. And, and you're, you know, you, you just need to play. And I was like, wow, thanks buddy. You know, thanks Nate. And so like, but, and it was, that's a very, you know, uh, simple way of looking at it, but like it did, that did wonders for me. And I remember just realizing that, wow. So if I'm, I, you know, not, talking about being pushed musically, doing my own trio, man, that was, that was like, pushing it for me because in a good way and i realized that each night i did it we'd go out and we just play little spots i felt this growth this little growth happening each time where i felt a little bit more confident i was like man i really enjoyed saying that and that man like the yeah uh, uh, our, our the guy sounded great tonight and and i started to have a real kind of cathartic i had a lot of cathartic moments during the evening where i remember it was just everything turned off in the head and it wow. was like wow. and that's the place that's the place in my humble opinion where you know one tries to get to with playing music where you're not you're literally not thinking it's like meditation but you know you're in a you're in a place of not thinking almost and you're just sort of channeling whatever energy is going through and uh, and that's kind of the and it ebbs and flows and it can ebb and flow with any given act like any given thing that's going on in your life right if you're having an argument with your girlfriend or wife or you're having a, a problem with you know this that or the other and that can affect all of it but that's how you know that's what i think is kind of the ultimate um you know when you that's like the task you know when you get on stage and you're getting into that zone like how do you arrive at that place but it, it's more of a lofty thing but going back to like what got me there was just doing more of that kind of stuff and, and getting and then playing with more people. I had this period where I remember I realized I didn't. And then, a, you know, the guy I started playing drums with was a good friend of mine. He kind of taught me or talked to me into like, you know, saying uh, stuff like, 
you know, this is what you were meant to do, man. This is, and, and I think you mentioned God too, and just yeah. and like the higher power thing. And that's big, you know, in, in, in recovery. And, and I do believe that that was kind of a calling for me. It's like, I don't really know how to do much else. And this is what I enjoy doing. And this is what I'm good at, you know? And, um, and so, Dude, I want to be clear though. I want to go back. You yeah. are, you're going to tell me single-handedly that Jonathan Sloan became a beautiful as beautiful as you possibly could and not so much of a dick because the sober sobering up part was very key to that oh yeah i mean towards the end it was it, my my drinking and drugging it wasn't it wasn't good it was just somehow somehow the the diva quality or like needing to have everything the self-centeredness sort of to a degree like did that also just sort of when you began to have these sort of cathartic moments of stillness um did you recognize that it's a grander purpose. <laughs> well, I also think that there's something humbling that goes on. And I think that, you know, any of the, you know, you talk to enough of the elders and you realize that there are some cats who are much older than us. And, you know, the phone has stopped ringing and they're very resentful because they felt like they were completely responsible for what was coming through their apparatus or their voice. Mm. When in fact, they really are merely a conduit for information coming through them from the heavens or whatever you want to say. And so that takes the ego out of it. You're only partially responsible for that. And that to me is like right. the most, when that light goes on, then the ego kind of goes to the side to me. Like when you're talking about like your friend saying, stop thinking so much, just play, or this is what you're meant to do. Like that to me means that that's how you got out. You were beginning to get out of your own way at some point. And you recognize that you weren't fully responsible for what was coming through you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, and that's what it is getting out of your own way. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that that statement applies to, to this day. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just anytime there's a situation coming up or when I did the Jackie Green and Anders tour, like opening for them, I remember being like, oh man, is it like I had that same voice will go off in your head where it's like, well, these guys are like troubadour songwriter, like cat, like I don't consider myself some seasoned songwriting veteran, you know, but I had some, I had songs and, uh, and it's, you know, that's, that's all it takes. And, you know, you got yeah. songs, you play the songs and you, and you commit and you, you know, you're telling the story up there, but, you know, and I've always thought of myself as a guitar player more than a, you know, singer songwriter type, but I do enjoy writing songs too. But a lot of it, you know, that especially playing with when I made kind of the, commitment to also just realizing like, Hey, this is what I want to do. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start making myself available to work with other people. And that's, I, I still to this day, love, love doing that. Like when I'm home, not, you know, on the road with, with, with Anders or it's, I'm playing local gigs with local artists, you know, I'm doing my shows. I'm doing, you know, uh, you know, I'm, Dude, I'm, I'm coming I'm, to see Jonathan Sloan as soon as possible. I mean, this is really <laughs> important because, you know, I, you know, Talking about your songs for a minute, I, I, this is just sort of a, again, sort of this um, page that could be taken out of like the Grateful Dead songbook. But I remember uh, talking to Pat, uh, talking to Mark Egan, the bass player with Pat Metheny, and he was like, they were in a trio with Danny Gottlieb, and they went on like uh, 180 gigs during the year, and they had all this new material, and so they just shedded it all in the bandstand. And by the time they actually went into the studio to record the album, several of those tunes had taken on a completely different life of their own. Mm. And I just wonder like that, the fact is you do have the source, you have this, you have a big bag of tunes. And yet a lot of our generation, I don't know if it's necessarily their fault at all, but you know, I see people making album after album after album and because there's not a vibrant touring circuit, luckily, if you unless you have a, a name recognition, even like someone like Anders, where you can actually have gigs on the road, a lot of the material winds up sitting on the shelf and atrophying. Mm -hmm. So it's like I wonder about the idea of with your songs, even when you're opening for these cats, is it are you someone who is interested in taking new songs and playing them out live so that they could take on a life of their own before mm -hmm. you record them in the studio? Yeah, we're doing that right now. Actually, I'm I'm in the process of working on a new album. I got twelve songs in the can right now, and we've we've take we've been playing out. I think uh, five or six of them. You know, right? Uh, just to for for 
for me, it's almost like the, the off Broadway previews, you know what I mean? Mm. And it's just, it's like, I'm just, we're, we're working it out. And we played four songs recently at the last show we did. And, and we hope to debut more of them at the hot August, uh, festival coming up on um, hot August music festival on September or no, that's August 19th, I think. But, um, yeah, so we got, you know, I'm working on a new record with the, with the trio and that involves, uh, me and and my drummer Darren Blessman and Robbie Cooper on bass and we're you know we're we're hammering out stuff and and I love taking songs out and I love seeing the evolution of how something might you know play out in terms of hey does this become something that we can extend or does it become something that we keep as it was on the record or do we change it completely I mean I love that stuff I love revisiting old songs too and and, and shaking it up a bit you know that's right um, that, no, I mean that's so do you feel like with those four or five songs that you've debuted like are there little uh bridges or little new little things that have already come into your consciousness about the song or or essentially um you know, the point is that Pat, I mean, the Grateful Dead, uh, the, the, they did Go to Heaven in 1980. They were mm. playing, they were playing Touch of Grey in 1982. But that version, those early incarnations of Touch very of Grey, different. very different from when it got, they didn't go, they missed the studio for seven years. Most mm. cats uh, could never go that long. But yet, you know, you see, and then what happened, you know, for the, for better or for worse, you know, in the dark, Touch of Grey became, a, you know, a massive hit. So it's just uh, I I wonder how much you you would subscribe to that idea of just um, letting the songs grow before you put them down when, before the red light comes on so to speak. Well, it's funny because I I you know in my heart of hearts you know I've always been I I do love the sort of the songs with the parts and everything. You mentioned that. Yeah, totally. I've always been that way. Like then I, and I'm rediscovering that it's funny even during like the pandemic, man. I would I'd go out running and I I discover I rediscovered that I love, you know, bands like U2. I love, you know, Foo Fighters. I love Radiohead. I love, you know, bands that have these really like I that's what I grew up listening to, Absolutely. you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it was like and then it became when I got into guitar and like was playing guitar, I, I was suddenly like, well, I love, you know, Jimi Hendrix. I love Led Zeppelin. I love Clapton. I love all, you know what I mean? You, know, you, like, you go through the whole thing. Cause I'm, you know, the, the heart of hearts, I'm a guitar player. <laughs> and so it's uh, like, even when I, people ask me like, well, what comes first, the lyrics or the chords or whatever. And I say, I honestly, guitar riffs come first. Like I'll play a riff that I like. And I, and I've, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not equating myself to Keith Richards, but I heard that Keith writes this way too. He'll like play a guitar riff, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. and then he'll just start, you know, vibing on some lyrics. And for me, and he's like, you know, a real, like, you know, a, a seasoned guy. For for me, I'm just like, well, I guess I got to come up with some lyrics now. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you know, and then you find something, you know, and and it's and you can stick with it, and uh, and you find something that works. And I'm, you know, I, I'm, I, I, so I guess in in a that was kind of a circular way of circuitous way. No, there, there really are no right, there are no right or wrong answers on the Jake Feinberg show. So don't worry if you go off right. on a tangent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, um, uh, Jonathan, I, um, one of the L's on my show is, uh, is leadership. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about, um, what you think the biggest challenge, you know, you're in a trio in your own group and you, know, you a lot of people bring cats in, um, because they want them to do what they do. And that's a sign of great leadership. I mean, there was a great story that Dave Holland told me about when uh, Coltrane first joined Miles and he, he, he kept coming up to Miles and saying, what do you want me to play? What do you want me to play? Miles kept turning his back on him and Tra Train realized, oh, he, he, he hired me because he wants me to play myself. He wants me to be myself. Mm -hmm. And so like leaders have different ways of inspiring other people to get the best out of them no, and I, I just I wanted you to talk about what you have discovered about yourself what you believe are the greatest qualities of leadership on the bandstand well I you know that's a that I love I don't mind either way like I if, if there's a 
you know, if there's someone that's like, hey, you know, can you take this part and then, you know, on the record and then, you know, you need to do this thing. And that's great. I love that because it's like, great. I got, you know, I'm, I'm really good at listening to stuff and picking it up. You totally, know, totally. That's, that's kind of what I can, that's always been a, you know, I, I have few talents in this world and that's one of them. <laughs> I, you know, and, and I, and so I can, I can cop to it pretty quick. Um, but it is, there's a, there's a very exciting thing to like, like again, like there, and, and Anders is like, he'll be like that where it's like some things he'll be like, Hey, you know, I need you to do this here. And it's like, great, man. Awesome. And I love that. Cause then it's just like, boom, I know what I'm doing. And then there's other stuff where I can tell it's almost like if I were to ask him, he'd just be like, you know, just, it's either like, you know, like stay out of my way or right. just, but that's okay too. You know, that's part of the deal. So it's kind of like you find where you fit in. And a lot of it, I think, is knowing when not to play and knowing, you know, when to listen. And, you know, Anders plays with, I mean, he plays with one of, uh, uh, a legend. He plays with Chad Cromwell on drums right now. And Chad, if you knew, I don't know if you know him or not, but I'm not hip to him. I thought you were going to say Johnny Vidakovich, who's a dear friend. Well, I, mean, but, uh, I mean, he's yeah. played. Anders has played with a. The list goes on with that. It does. Guy. Yeah. But no. but currently, Talk about Cromwell. Yeah, tell me about yeah, this guy. Cromwell is yeah. so he. You know, if you if you if you've heard, keep on rocking in the free world. That's Cromwell on drums. Wow. So he play. He's played with Knopfler. Oh uh, God. Neil Young. Um, Joe Walsh and again the list goes on this man is a he's a legend and so oh. when I listen to Chad direct sometimes Chad will chime in with this so, so a lot of it again it's just being a sponge and observing especially when I'm around guys like this I'm I'm 35 you know these are guys that have been doing this for about as long as I've been alive so oh. uh, and and so that's when I just kind of will shut up frankly and just listen because I know that th these guys have been in the you know the trenches a long time in terms of like doing what they do we got jimmy earl on bass in that band too he's another guy who's played with chick korea this guy's played with chick korea give, and me, a break. Tour... give me a break yeah yeah okay. no, right i mean and you know and again yeah. there's that there's that like that little voice in the back of the head that will be like he played with chick korea who have you played <laughs> and, and, then like... it's, and then it's like saying like i mean yeah but i think it's beautiful man like I'm totally with you. Like anybody would think that, but at a certain point you're like, it's you like, know what? Up, you it's like, it's seat. like, yeah, it's like, it's like, I'm here now. So right. I'm going to fucking go for it and lay out go. and do there it, you, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's where it is. It's like, you, and, and when you, when, when the, when you, when you sit down and you like look at it for what it really is, difference of perspective, perspective shift. It's like, dude, you're here. So what now? What? What are we doing? You know, and that then that's that's what it's all about. It's about like just getting past that whole bit of, of you know. And so when I'm rocking with these guys on stage, I'm having nothing but fun because it's just <laughs> watching and there's an energy that's just circulating. And it was the same with I mean, I, I really try to that's kind of how I want to keep it with everybody I play with. It's it's fun, you know. I think it's when you know you start getting overly analytical or taking yourself to, and this is just me like taking myself too seriously that's when it's like this is it's like now you're gonna make it weird or something it's like just play you know and i think uh uh one of my another one of my best friends just always tells me, he's like just play you know and it's like one of his things he says and it's like totally true i love players that just play and are you know kind of going for it and i feel like kind of mixing with that dead world too, like, you know, playing with uh, Chris, who does a lot of sort of Jerry tribute and dead stuff as well. Like it's, that was a world that I actually wasn't very familiar with. You know, like I said, I'm Beatles, Stones, Zeppelin. So I dig, know. man. I like people that come to it late. I came to it late too, but I love people that come in with whole different influence. And I love, how, how did it, uh, what was the biggest revelation for you with when you got into that dead world? Well, I'll tell you what, man, I, I think for me, it was noticing all of the different influences that were kind of like an amalgamation of that. Totally, dude. That's a very good point. And, and there was so many different influences. I mean, you have Jerry, who's like a, started as like, a, I, I'm sure I'm butchering this, but he was like a flat picker, I think. And he, and he was kind of teaching these guys. Like, I think he taught Bob out of play. Yeah, he did. He was a banjo, a bluegrass banjo yeah, player. Yeah, totally. And, so, and you can also hear like that, like Jerry listened to Django. You know what I mean? And, and 
and he was and the way he plays and he'll and you but then i hear like marty robbins like you know uh el paso you know and and they're and they're doing those kind of things so it's the it's almost in my opinion they probably are you know it's like but for me it's like the band and then the grateful dead as like two of the great american rock bands you know and and kind of thinking about those that that sort of evolution of where they've gone but then also the the way that they've taken they, they'll take these left turns you know they'll take these complete left turns on their songs and yeah i mean they're they're it's great it's totally illuminating oh, every time and there's they did nothing it was kind of like you said like they did nothing the same you know everything was kind of different. well phil that was phil's line i mean tony leone the great drummer told me he's like that phil said we, you know, we've never played the same song the same way once. And the yeah. truth is that like in talking, I mean, I, I, I'll send you a link to this, but I wrote a, my second book was on uh, the Merry Pranksters, uh, my interviews with them, Wavy Gravy, and oh, then cool. all the Grateful Dead side projects. So the, the, in talking to George Walker, one of the original pranksters, I mean, he said, Jerry listened to Coltrane all the time. And if you listen to the early eighties, Grateful Dead, you can hear him going higher and higher. I mean, it, it, you know, he wasn't trying to be a jazzer. Jerry couldn't play jazz per se, but you know what? Like it was he all, he did. I mean, yeah. and, and so part of it's also like, I kind of wanted to touch on this for a minute. Like you say, you know, you're steeped in Hendrix and blues rock stones and that stuff is so burning, incredible. But, you know, a lot of the guys that I love, of C play would consider themselves like faux jazzers. You know, they they don't they don't know like the American songbook. They don't have like a huge bag of tunes. They can't necessarily play bebop, mm. but they're not just playing like uh somehow the music keeps breathing. How, I, my question for you is like how do you keep it how do you keep stretching the vocabulary of the music when uh do you feel like you are somebody who is competent enough to play uh, jazz? Where, where where do you come down on that? And what is your definition of a jazzer? Because like, that's my first love. But I feel <laughs> like jazz now, it's like, it's so classicalized. Like you, you go there, you clap, even if you don't like the tune, it's everybody gets a solo. There's so much predictability. When back in the day, you know, Rick Murata, the great drummer told me he'd go to the village gate. Miles would come out, play three notes, and at this time, he had two drummers, two bass mm. players, two keyboard players. He played three notes, walk off the stage, and the whole band would chase those notes like rats going to cheese. You know, and it was just like, that was jazz, you know? And I just wonder about you. Like, how do you – where do you come down in terms of – I'm not saying you're faking jazz, but the ability to sort of add that vocabulary into just your standard blues rock, uh, you know, sort well, of Well, you know, I mean, I – definitely did not, you know, study jazz. I definitely did. I, I, I learned Donna Lee, you know, I mean, that sure. was like song, yeah. that song that I felt like, you know, the, 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 you know, that my teacher at the time was like, learn this. And I was like, ugh. and then, you know, just to be, <laughs> just to be completely frank, you know, it wasn't, and it's not that I didn't I dig. jazz for me, it was a feat, you know, it was like a super like, and, and the way I had to learn it was I would just like listen to it over and over and over and over and over and over and over kind of ad nauseum until I could sing the thing back and to, to be able to play the thing, you know, uh, and, and it was, it, it took, took a minute, but I committed to it. But anyway, I'm, so how do I, I, <laughs> I feel like it's not, it's staying and this is going to get now into technical. You That's know, all right. We go in the weeds. Uh, like staying out of those sort of basic, you know, spots, which I hate to say that too, because I feel like there's a lot, I tell, I, I teach too, you know, so sure. when, I, when I talk to my students and they're asking me questions like this, how do I incorporate more than just pentatonic blues stuff? Right. And I said, there's nothing wrong with your pentatonic blues stuff. You know, I think what, what I think about is phrasing, you know, if you, you, you want to, when you listen to Miles, Miles wasn't playing note after note after. I mean, he he wouldn't he wouldn't play a million notes. No, he wouldn't. You're absolutely nailing it. His phrasing was insane. He sits on something. He sits on something, and it's an idea. You know, get an idea, and I feel like Derek Trucks will do this too. You know, like where he he gets an idea, and it just 
burns, you know, and it's just, I can't describe it, but it should, and, and, and it expands and it, and it kind of, you know, you, you, you give it space. And I think space like miles is the king of this. He he's, it's like space was part of the instrument for this guy, you know, and he knew when the right time was to strike and, you know, when not to strike. And I think that there's a lot in that, um, you know, and, and there's, you know, you can practice your arpeggios, you can practice not playing, you know, linear scales, you play chords or you play, but also play wrong notes, you know, like, don't like quote unquote wrong notes, right? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I know. I, I, I remember McLaughlin told me, uh, the day after Tony Williams picks him up at the airport, he goes into in a silent way and, and miles whispers in his ear, play the guitar like you don't know how to play the guitar and he was like i, I love that wow. what? And he, but he but he but he did it and it worked but but it was it, to me like you ask anybody and i you can hear it freddie hubbard woody shaw i mm. mean the uh kenny durham uh, i don't want to leave anybody out but some of these guys like they they're uh, lee morgan they could play a lot of notes but you're exactly yeah. right miles's genius yeah. was just laying uh, planting a seed and then just grooving on that and the phrasing of it and just sort of the haunting nature of it and and i you know and don't you can't tell me for a hot minute because dave lieben told me that during those bill graham episodes in the film war west the hippie bands would always play first uh i'm sorry the jazz the the miles band would always play first they weren't sticking around for the hippie bands but you know you know that Garcia and Lesh and those guys were all watching that vibe. That to me is what leadership is about. And I think actually the better, I'd love you to talk about a time because I consider jazz more of a feeling and more of like, almost like not a riffology or like, you know, chops driven thing, but more like, can you talk about a time even recently where, because I think that this is what you should talk about with your students. You probably do is like, working your way into a corner and finding your way out, you know, like that to me is like when you're like, Oh boy, I've really gone off here. How do I get back into the groove? That to me is jazz, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that a lot of that too. um, And I think it can go both ways too, where when you know, you have a little part, not, and and what I mean is uh, like a section where, you know, you've got eight bars of solo or whatever, or you're doing, or you're just doing a little, kind of call and response between the next verse or right. whatever. And, and then, you know, knowing how to kind of wrap it up and, and clean it up, but it's, I don't know. I think that sometimes, you know, I've been in so many situations where something that I thought that I played was like, Oh, I don't think that worked. And then, you know, I'll see some, you know, Instagram or Facebook thing like, <laughs> of that thing. And I'm like, Oh shit! It actually works. So you it know, worked, like, man. Like, I love it. You know, then that begs the question. It's like, well, what do I know? You know what I mean? Well, that goes back to the drummer. The drummer said, "Stop thinking so much. Just play." Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, and I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that 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 idea of to you know getting out of your own way, letting the song breathe. You know, like re- realizing that it's a you, you have that's a bigger calling. You know what I mean? It's mm. a big thing that you're doing. You're not just up there playing your part you're not just a body on stage you know i mean like you're you're a vessel for this song that's being played whoever song it is you know and and i you know i mean anders talks about it you know he's like we're here for the audience because they have memories of hearing these songs whether it's whatever or you know whatever happened in their lives but we're channeling these songs you know and you know they're they're that's what it's all about. So playing to the songs, I'm like one of my favorite rock guitar players is Mike Campbell. And I think mm-hmm. he, does that. he does that to a T he's just, he's the guy that just knows he gets in, he gets out and again, and it's, but it's memorable. It's on Joe Walsh is the same way. I feel like these are people who I idolize. And I've always thought like, man, these are the guys, these are the cats that can, they, they know how to play to songs. And you know, it's when you're playing in an ensemble like that with, you know, drums, bass, guitar, you know, second guitar, keys, whatever, like you have a much more refined role. Uh, whereas when I'm doing a power trio, you know, you got drums, bass, and then there's just guitar and it's, and it's voice, but it's, it's more than that too. You know, dude, if have- I was in the, if I came to this, one of your shows, we'd be blowing the roof off the place, dude. I mean, it <laughs> is like, I love, I freaking love the idea of bringing that 
that tribal instinct to the bandstand, get you guys out of your thinking mind, and then the roof's blown off the place. That's the greatest thing in the world. I got, I know you got, I, you know, we got, you got fatherly duties, and you got a, you know, a beautiful young kid. I just, I, but we wrap up set one here. I yeah. wanted, I wanted to ask you, <clears throat> as honestly as you can, uh, you know, if you're Tower of Power or Steve Miller or Carlos Santana. In this day and age, your brand, uh, you can play as much as you want, anywhere you want, make tons of money. And then I got my friends in, in their 40s and 30s who, you know, are like road dogging it. And these are top flight musicians, just like yourself, you know, like heavy, heavy cats. Mm. And it is, you know, I went to see Billy Strings. I hung out with Royal Massad. We were hanging. There were like six or seven you know, streamlined uh, buses there. Like that, there was an apparatus there. And yeah. yet most of the cats who are playing original and good for Billy, because he's fucking, he's uh, the man, he's, na he's nasty. He's great. He's great. But for so many cats who are trying to play original spiritual music, and I don't care what genre it is, they're in a sprinter van. They, there is no money for the gig. The bar probably treats them like shit. They might make a little money off merch if they can fit it in the truck. And the tours have been truncated, whereas before COVID, they were going on two, three-week tours. Now we're going on four-day tours. So I'm curious, like, for your own trio, not your the other projects, because it's great. To, I mean, it's such a blessing to be able to have sort of a, a, an apparatus around you. But for your own trio outside of the regional gigs, do you have a desire to tour or how daunting is the road dog experience for cats who don't have a brand name? It's a great question, man. I mean, the, the, the idea of touring with the Jonathan Sloan trio would be semi daunting because the <laughs> fact, you know, Dude, we'll get you out to Arizona, bro. You know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, here's the deal. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, like you said, it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm not a household name. I'm not someone who can, you know, fill rooms or anything like that. I got a little bit of a following here, you know, sure. in, in the area and, and I, I can do well in small spots here in the DMV, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. But, you know, the idea of getting in the car and, and driving, you know, uh, up to New York and doing a show there, or, you know, it'd be like, it'd be exciting because I love to play, but you know, then it's the idea of like, well, I'm not 19 or 22 anymore. You know, I've got a family, I got a mortgage, I've got, you know, it, you know, it's like, so it's it, there. That's where, and I was talking to Jackie Green about this one time and I, and he, and cause I remember he had just, we had just started this tour and he, and he was asking me a little bit about myself and he, and he's such a sweet guy and such a talent. And he was like, he was like, so, so, you know, so what do you do, man? And like, so how, you know, I was like, well, you know, I've got my trio at home and blah, blah, blah. And I do this and then I do a little of this. I teach and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I guess I should be kind of focusing on one thing or something. You know, I said some like, you know, totally like, I kind of just do a bunch of stuff. And he, and he looked at me, he's like, well, you kind of have to today, you know, right, like, right. And, and, and he wasn't kidding, you know, <laughs> like, and he knows it's just, you kind of have to, you have to branch out. You have to, you have to play with other people. And of course it's, I mean, that's what I love to do, but you know, I, I, that's why I still teach when I'm off the road. I'm home here. I just taught, I taught three students today, you know, and, uh, and it's, and, and it's, I enjoy it. I, I like it's, it's also an extra income. It's, it's, you know, but yeah, the idea of touring, you know, on the road with a, which, the trio would be doable. If it, you know, you, you got to do it right. You got to make sure that there's, you got to have one anchor date or something where you got like, you know, a decent offer and then you can do a couple other club dates, but it's, it's tricky. You know, I, we did it with Chris Jacobs band too. And when Chris was kind of taken off with his new band and, and it, you know, it's, it's, unless you have those festival dates or whatever. And he was a much, a, he was a name at that point where he could book some good festivals and get some decent, you know, stuff, but it's, it's, uh, would you, would, would you, would, I guess, would you, would you be able to take like, that's the horrible part about it is like, I mean, for these guys, even after the show, there are no roadies. They have to pack up their gear. We're talking about Hammond B3s and, synthes, you know, it's like, so like, would you, I mean, would you need to have a, I'm just curious I'm, if you had your dream scenario and someone's like, brother Sloan, let's do a Pacific Northwest tour. I mean, like, would you need a roadie, somebody? Cause I also see like, you know, back in the day for better or for worse, when the Grateful Dead were on the road, Ramra, I mean, Candelario and Steve Parrish, those cats weren't leaving the venue until the band got paid what they deserved. Mm. You know, you needed to have like that 
that subtle hammer or that, you know, credibility. I don't understand how musicians are supposed to do 10 things at once on a tour. You know, I mean, you have That's, to have that apparatus, you know? Yeah. I mean, you have like, it starts with a tour manager, man. You know, like you have to have a tour. It's just, it's so hard. Like you said, 10 jobs you're doing literally. It's like it you're, calling, you're advancing shows, you're moving gear, you're tuning guitars. Like you're doing, like it's, you're doing, and that like a tour manager is not even the tech job, right? Like the tech job is the tech is tuning your guitars or, and then there's front of house guy. Right. And then there's like, so there's like, there's all these things that go into it. But, um, I can, I have no problem moving gear. I still move gear. You know? <laughs> Dude, I want Sloan on the road dog. I know you got the young kid at home. I, I think we need, ultimately though, it's something like, I think with my friends who are, they have families and maybe marriages that, are holding up or not but either way they are they want to express their own music and i feel like that's something that um you were already doing regionally but is it is it something that you would like to do at some point i mean if if oh, yeah. If, yeah if if the opportunity came absolutely absolutely and it and you know i think there will be a time when i can focus when i can pick months out of the year where i can focus on that and i think it's coming pretty soon but working on wrapping up this record that's kind of my first goal and then doing you know local shows around here but and and getting getting the, you know and it, you know that there's 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 talk of the the trio might be expanding at some point really really yeah, we might be doing that so we're, we're gonna see where that goes but um all right let me, let me before you go i just want to i want you to circle this date october 6th jake feinberg show We'll be in Philly. I mean, I'm sorry. We'll be in Philly on 10-5. But on 10-6, if you got something going on in the DMV, I want to come down. That's a Friday night. So cool, man. Yeah. All right. And, and it would be it would be super. I would love to. You know, I just – to me, like, this is very important. Like, the whole goal of my show at this point is to connect humanity through new media and through these interviews and to create a community that has been kind of – uh you know through technology and through the interface has been dismantled but you know i i really believe that like um you know i'm going to keep going until you know original music is not just appreciated but cats are compensated for it i don't know how it's going to all go down but you're part of that that tribe so it was it was really great to hang man and uh oh, man my, my pleasure and thank you for asking me for sure and we'll do it again man certainly thank you jake all right much love jonathan take care bud too, man. Take Peace. care.